Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Welcome. Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio. This is me, Gwendolyn Galsworth, your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak, about the principles and practices, the results, the methodologies, the tools, the people who want to make that journey to a visual workplace and how they do it. They do it through methodologies and models, and we talk about all of that on this show, how they help to let the workplace speak. Mm -hmm. Welcome, welcome. We're continuing our series on visual leadership, and I just want to mention a couple of things. If you want to email us, find us at radio at visualworkplace.com. If you want to know about our products and our training options and all of the things that we do, and we do a lot, please visit us at our website, visualworkplace.com. So I want to jump in. We have a lot to cover, and I want to move us along. We are this week continuing our discussion about the visual executive. The executive manager who wants to become an executive leader, who wants, in the terminology of my vision, to become a leader of improvement. How is that done? How do we make that substantial, concrete, operational? What are the practical skills? How do we name the horizon, assign resources, set the pace, confer valence, and drive relentlessly? <laughs> How do we drive? How do we do that and not give up our humanity? How do we stay nice, so nice on the outside and toast on the inside? burning with the fire of improvement and of an internal demand, an internal call, a call, a call to improvement, a call to excellence. How do we do that? Well, last week, I actually left you with a cliffhanger, which I will resolve momentarily. I began to walk us through the first tool of transformation a tool that I've used for many years. It is comparable to, but I think more robust than, the Toyota Temple and the various houses that populate many corporate walls, usually in the form of shiny posters. <laughs> I have a model or a tool called, uh, abbreviated as the OSIT, and the long form is the Operation System Improvement Template, because it is a template for improving your operational system. And if you don't have one, if you don't have an operational system, it provides it. It looks like a house. It has eight la levels or layers, and it has a logic that links those eight together. And the application of this that I use is to help executives, be they corporate leaders at GM, director, VP of usually of strategic improvement, sometimes for the corporation, or plant manager, which is as much work and as much fun. <laughs> There's hardly a difference in terms of the load of work that needs to be done, and the kind of grooming that can happen by learning uh, to use this template. And there's a methodology involved in it. And I want to not do a tutorial because there simply isn't time and it's not a good venue for actually sharing the depth of this knowledge, uh, even though this is the radio, and I call it Visual Workplace Radio, and I pride myself on making images as vivid and as clear as possible through simply the spoken word. 
It is better if you have some images in front of you, and my book isn't out yet. So the OSIT, Operation Systems Improvement Template, is the first of three tools that I consider to be fundamental to uh, this journey of moving from executive manager to executive leader, to someone who hopes things will get better, to someone who makes things get better through their position and through the utilization of these tools. The other two tools are the X-Type Matrix, which I like very, very much, the Power of Limits, and the War Room, which is a culmination. I am hoping to cover both of these in the next two shows, and then we'll shift over to the supervisor and um, and the tools that support him or her. So I kind of left you with a cliffhanger. I did leave you with a cliffhanger at the end of the last show. Do you recall something about Rolls-Royce and something about the Lord? <laughs> the Lord meaning a member of the House of Lords who happened to have headed up um, Rolls-Royce Aerospace at the time. I had a chance to meet this person, this Lord. <laughs> I went up a lot of uh, staircases and rode a number of elevators, and I finally arrived. And uh, the Lord, and I forget his name, I have to say when we met, I was a bit spellbound, starstruck, you know, where you know who the other person is, and that person is really important, but somehow you've forgotten who you are entirely. Well, it was that kind of moment. He said something, I muttered back, he had an English accent, I felt intimidated. The whole thing, the whole thing, just like a movie. <laughs> I felt like a two-year-old. But nonetheless, I was admiring of a certain kind of work that was going on at Rolls-Royce Aerospace at the time. This was in Derby in the UK. And I, and I want to bring this up as an encapsulation of what I was talking about in the last show, which is this kind of fierceness, this fierceness of commitment that that compels, that is in fact compelling. Napoleon had it, and, and, and Rolls-Royce Aerospace had it, Roosevelt had it, Churchill had it, Russell Crowe in The Gladiator had it. Oh, my goodness. I often give as a kind of um, moment of respite, but also moment of learning, the assignment to uh, the executives who are, uh, are agreeable to work with me uh, to watch The Gladiator, to watch Gladiator and to name who they think they are and to watch how Russell Crowe brings people together, brings the troops together, brings his direct reports together through the absolute fierceness of his commitment and of also his knowledge of how things work. Remember that scene when Hannibal was uh, attacking the gladiators, the, the, the cartoon-like Hannibal's the men and women, a marvelous Amazon, Amazonian woman in her chariot, and her chariot had swords on the wheels that would just rotate and mow you down like you were corn. Remember that scene? And Crow says to his fellow gladiators, he says, move as one, move as one, move as one. And they get together and they they form the tortoise, the tortoise shell um, configuration that all Roman soldiers know. Many of these gladiators were, in fact, soldiers. The ones who survived already came with skills. They lasted more than one, sometimes ten turns in the middle of the ring. And it was just marvelous. It was so thrilling. Last week, I talked to you about the power of I want I want. It's personal, it's emotional. And as we were talking about the importance of naming the horizon, 
which is one of the things. It's at the very top of the operation systems improvement template. It goes customer, vision, mission. Okay. You, for me, mission and vision are so close together that I, I can parse the difference and we will make a distinction, but underneath both of them is I want. They just have a different time frame and one vision is more abstract, more emotional, more visionary and compelling in that way. And the other is more concrete mission and more time bound and more specific. So this situation at Rolls Royce, this is the way it was told to me. And if the teller of this tale was wrong, I will blame him the next time I see him. I was not around for the inception of this particular I want. He was. And he said that this gentleman that I met, this Lord in the House of Lords, who was heading up Rolls-Royce Aerospace at the time, woke up one morning fed up. And it sort of went like this. I am just fed up with investing so much money to try to get our engines out, and it takes us X number of months to get an engine done, and I find that reprehensible. And the X is up for grabs. I try to get a hold of Stephen through LinkedIn. He's recent. He's married now with a kid, and he didn't get back to me in time because I wanted to be very specific about it. But it was something like it took five months to complete an engine from stem to stern, from material to the purchase of material, all the supply chain, feeding lines, and then finally ready to ship to the client. Five months, 150 days. And the story goes, this gentleman woke up one morning and said, I've had it. I've given Mackenzie millions of dollars. We've done lean. They left two years ago. It's falling apart. That's why they brought me in. They said, it's falling apart. We need visual. We forgot. And Mackenzie doesn't even know about visual. You must come and help us. I was happy to. But this was before I came in. He woke up and he said, you know what I want? I want a 40-day engine. I want a 40-day engine. And he convinced himself by the time he had his first medium-boiled egg that that's what he really wanted, he went into the office and he declared it. And he said to everyone, I want a 40-day engine. I want a 40-day engine. He was naming the horizon. And even though it may have seemed to others an unreasonable horizon, sir, you don't understand, he did understand that he had had enough. He took it very personally. He owned the miserable horizon that he was looking at five months, 150 days plus to make an engine, and he wanted something different. He wanted something different. When I arrived, Rolls-Royce was at 60 days. Something happened. You know, I looked on the through Google to try to find papers. There's only one paper that I could find on the 40-day engine. It's embedded. It is um, jeepers. I could go into my computer right now and give you the citation. But if you look 40-day engine, uh, Rolls-Royce, you'll come up with the one PDF that somewhere in those pages, I think it begins around page 60 or 63, um, this is mentioned. And it says, you know, what they did is decide they were going to have 30 days for the supply chain to deliver everything and 10 days to make the darn thing. You have to read between the lines to find that as well. But what was so compelling about this, and it's one of my main points, is that you're a human being. If you're a plant manager, you're a human being. And that means you are powerful. And that means you can want things and you can stir people. You can stir us through that desire, through that. 
you can name the spot, name the horizon, and and hold us to it. And that will power us to do amazing things. This is not shouty. This is very nice on the outside and on the inside, burning, burning with this desire, this determination. Plant managers are especially close to this. Marvelous, stalwart, dedicated doers of things. Plant managers I am ever admiring. Very practical, very hands-on. Every day is an adventure, except when it is not. When it is a disaster instead. It's very hard to name the horizon unless you have done so on the plant level because there are so many variables that are constantly changing and 90% of them are out of your control. So you are reactive. So you are firefighting. Of course you are. How could it be otherwise? What I'm talking about in the OSIT, in the Operation Systems Improvement Template, is that it is your declaration. You can say your declaration of independence, but you need a way to say what you want. And attempting for me, the, the metaphor that I, that I give or anchor this in, attempting to manage your organization through all of those uncontrollable variables will just sink your ship. It will tire you out, and it will discourage you. Switching instead to leading your organization, then do an operation systems improvement template or something that at least does part of that. It is the difference between skiing down the powdery slopes of your favorite mountain or getting caught in a blizzard on that same mountain without skis, without food, without a compass, and without anyone even knowing you are there. You are lost. And you'll stay lost, and there'll be a lot of people who will be lost with you. Remember we talked about Kuzas and Posner, Jim Kuzas and Barry Posner, and this wonderful quote from their wonderful book, The Leadership Challenge. In some ways, leaders lead their lives backwards. They see pictures in their mind's eye of what the results will look like even before they start. Your operation systems improvement template is that picture. But what it does is it sets up the profile of your organization. It says customer, named, vision, named, mission, Named, what values and belief beliefs are you going to implement or adopt in order to get to that vision, get to that mission, reach that horizon? What strategy you're going to, to deploy? Because hope is not a strategy. Yeah? Your strategy, and your strategy is only one thing in operations nowadays. It's only one thing. It's the relentless pursuit to find and eliminate waste. In visuality, we call that waste motion moving without working. And that pertains to the role of the leader as well, because the leader, if he is not adding value, and you better define what that means, then he or she is in motion moving without adding value. So that works out really well in terms of behavioral leadership roles, behavioral roles. Strategy, so the relentless pursuit in finding and then eliminating waste. That's what it is. It's the 95-5 equation. That's your lever if you're, if, if it's a marketing strategy, you use something else. If it's an acquisition strategy, you need something else. But this is an operations improvement template. This is your choice in strategy. You can fuss around with the wording so that it's less growly and perhaps fits more with other corporate themes. But it is that. 
It is looking at the 95% that is waste and not investing in the 5% that's already doing very well. Thank you very much. And from there, we identify strategic principles, which are very, very important, so that you know you can actually speak to people through principles that will remind them that, yes, every person is a problem solver. Yes, go to Gemba. Yes, find out. You see? Yes, isolate prototype production. Yes, when you ask the right question, you don't need all the answers. Yes, learn to learn these principles. Without feedback, how can we improve? Learning is an outcome, another principle. Right part, right quantity, right time, or better yet, defects. Don't make them, don't take them, don't pass them on. That's a t-shirt. Defects. Don't make them, don't take them, don't pass it on. It works really well in English. We try to translate that into Spanish. But these, these calls, these shining calls that say, this is what we're about. Learn to see. Master the whole. Teach others. Deliver value. Simplify. These are all separate values. I'm sorry, separate principles. Use them. Use them. Let them be a part of your role as leadership. Choose one a month, use it, or one a week and use it. I prefer one a month to begin with so that people get used to the idea and they find applications. Become the leader that you have admired in others. Be that person, Churchill or Battenberg, God bless him, or Napoleon <laughs> or Roosevelt <laughs> or Steve Jobs, but he really didn't use a model. He, he got into a lot of trouble. Kennedy. Okay. Identify yourself differently. Remember our seven elements that we went through two or three shows ago. So Rolls-Royce head said, I've had it. This is what I want. I want a 40-day engine. This is what I want. And that's all he talked about. Not obsessively, but continuously. It only looked obsessively. But it was his compulsion. It was his obsession of the heart and of vision. This is what I want. You need to have an organization that is willing to respond, but if you don't ask, they have nothing to respond to. You have to put yourself on the line. You have to make it personal. You're the ranking site executive, whether that site is a 400 factory corporation or a single factory in the middle of Columbus, Ohio. You have to be visible and you have to be dynamically involved and you better know what you're doing. That's the purpose of this Operation Systems Improvement Template is for you to be clear about the answers that you want and the answers that you give in terms of customer, vision, mission, values and beliefs, strategy, macrometric strategic principles, and what are our tactical systems? Which ones are strong? Which ones need to be shored up? Product, process, quality, machine, service, and people. Where do we have strength? And which, and where are we weak? And the final element, eight, the tools and methods. What are the specific tools that are currently in-house that we are capable in that we can use to increase our quality outcomes? or to increase our machine utilization. What are the tools? For the machine, SMED, autonomous maintenance, visual machine, effective visual machine lubrication, please, 80% 
of <laughs> machine problems are related to the wrong lubrication, too much lubrication, too little lubrication, <laughs> under the rubric of TPM. If you have process quality, then you better look at your scheduling, your cell design, your flow of value. If you have product, there's a whole host of other initials that will help you, including concurrent engineering and my own smart, simple design. A very excellent, but perhaps little-known book that you can get on Amazon. I wrote that darn book twice, Smart, Simple Design. It's about simplifying your organization by decomplicating your product architecture. But you need to have answers. This is the world of words. Words and calls to action and consistency, constancy of purpose, write it down. And the template is a place for you to start taking your notes and then to refine your thinking into language that can be shared. In the process of doing that, you will learn about your organization and you will lead. You have to be able to name it and to describe it and then to repeat it. You have to remember what you said yesterday because you're going to have to repeat it today because we forgot it's one of the reasons last week, I suppose I sounded pretty obnoxious, that I said, we say to you, we are happy to teach this to you, but we have one condition, which is that you work solo for the first part, that you do this developmental work yourself without the aid, without the comradeship of others. Have one person as a sounding board. I'm always available to talk. But have your own sounding board. Let that person be confidential. And then work it out for yourself. you got to know it. And that means you're going to have to sweat through not knowing it. What the heck am I supposed to do with this thing, values and belief and beliefs? Darn it. I'm going to have to make a distinction between vision and mission. Not even the professors can do that. Oh, my goodness. What do you mean, who's the customer? Customer is people who buy our product. Well, just get clear about it. Just state it. State it simply so you know. So it comes easily, rolls off your tongue, and others will hear it, and they will echo it. Your direct reports, for example, there's no confusion. Lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people on the shop floor don't know who the customer really is. I guarantee you that. This is as true for supervisors as it is for operators. This is not because these folks aren't supremely intelligent, because they are, but because it's given no importance in the day-to-day -day of work. It holds no importance in their mind. That's your job, to name it. And get clear. Do this simply. And you will be amazed at how much it helps you to be clearer about other things and to do this thing we call decide and drive. You need a mechanism. The better mechanism will be the X-type matrix, which will put this to the challenge. But the house is there for you to organize your thoughts and for you to get clear on the elements, the components of your company so that you can articulate it and you can stand for those definitions and that clarity. Someone has to do this. If corporate sends you their shiny poster, your job is to deconstruct it and to look at that logic and to see, to find ways to own it. And if you can't, to raise your hand and say, you know, there's six elements here and, and I got five of them, but this... Sixth one, I need some help, boss. And perhaps they don't understand it either. You're not there to put them, embarrass them or put them on the carpet, but they may realize that they can't explain it. Because once you get it right, your job, whether they tell you or not, is to explain it 
to your direct reports. And the way that I recommend you do that is just not to take time to explain it, but to take more time and turn it over and say, deconstruct this, and I want you to explain it to me. I want you to explain it to me. What do you mean? You know, that's about it. What I just said, I'm happy to repeat it. Deconstruct this poster until it makes sense to you, and when you're ready, I hope within the next three weeks, present it to me and explain it to me. In that way, we're going to learn together, and in that way, we will help each other. And that is why we say work solo first, because you have to have this experience. You have to know that it's not easy, and you have to know that you're going to need quiet, uninterrupted time just to sit there and begin to find your brain, that part of your brain that doesn't deal on a conceptual level as quickly, if you're a plant manager especially, as quickly as it deals with practical matters and fires that need to be put out. You want to have a roadway to promotion and professional growth? Learn to do this. But learn it with your own, for your own plant, how beautiful that is. To be able to articulate it. This language that we've been given, this wonderful brain, this power of articulation and of peeling the onion. This is your work. This is the work of visual leadership. The format is there to guide you, and it has its demands. Let it demand of you. You think the OSID is demanding? Wait until we get to the X-type if you've never experienced it. It puts limits on everything, and it gives you the formula. And it says, you can't have more than seven, you can't have more than five, you have to resource the project before you launch it. You have to know where the resources are going to come from before it can be part of your annual plan. Hope is not a strategy. (laughs) It's like that. It's hard work. This is your book. So the Operation Systems Improvement Template is there for you to get clear on the fundamentals of not running a company, but leading a company, because your job is to lead forward, and you go first. You go first. When you, If you do this by committee, you'll have a lot of conversation. You will find that it is very hard to land on clarity because you'll have so many interesting possibilities. Oh, you know what? What Charlie said before, what Marianne said before was so interesting. I wonder if I have the right concept here. Well, what you have in you is an integrated being. You have balance because you're alive. In the quiet that you will find, you will listen to yourself and you will say, that doesn't make sense. This isn't a homework assignment, you know. You'll say to yourself, Charlie, this isn't a homework assignment. I better use the word, let's say, Michael. Michael, this isn't a homework assignment. You're the VP of strategic improvement. This is your work. So let's think about it. And you know, right right now, I'm drawing a blank. (laughs) Live in that blank. And know that when you develop these pieces, you do this work yourself and you get clear. And then you can teach others by asking them to do the same thing. This is the way to get consensus, but they have to have the experience of sorting it out for themselves. And it can be in buddies, you know, just like you, you had a buddy. I have seven direct reports. So each of you can have a buddy and I'll buddy up with one, with one of you. Let's just pull our names out of the hat. So there'll be three pairs plus me and somebody else, four pairs. Okay, let's just pull our names out of a hat and pair it up. And let's begin this work. Now, I have to tell you, my friends, this is you speaking as a boss. This is the boss voice. When I did this, 
I didn't know where I was going. I didn't have the experience. But I want to say to you, this will cost you. This will take time. And what you can't do is agree with anyone. You can use each other as a sounding board, but that sounding board is probably not going to agree with you and don't try to get agreement. This is not about consensus. I want to know who you are as expressed through this template. I want to know how you would name the horizon. I want to know what principles are important to you. What is the strategy for you? What is the difference between vision and mission? I'll give you, I'll give you a, a primer in what this means. What I've learned in terms of definitions, but not in terms of answers. So I will, I as your executive leader, your plant manager, I will help you to that extent. But I don't want you to have conversations where you move towards agreement. That will not give us a rich understanding of what this opportunity is for us and of the complexity that we really are facing. So let's get many voices and they will become pretty close to one. And when the time comes, I will share my OSIT with yours. This is what's happening with one of my clients right now. Without giving their name away, the plant manager has to decide how to align with a GM's um, OSIT. That is very, very high-sounding and very high-minded. It's fabulous thinking. Wonderful heart and mind balance of saying, you know, we're about these things. And the plant manager can't do any better than that. He tried. He worked on it for about two months. And then he realized what, in fact, is true. He has to align with his senior manager's vision and mission, but he can name a different purpose. So I want to get to something very practical here that you should do no matter what, or you could do, I hope, or you would do if we were working together. <laughs> I don't want to be too pushy. I don't want to get the name of reputation for being pushy and obnoxious. When that happens and you're a woman, then you, you, you get another label. And I don't really feel that way. I do feel passionate. And I do love this work. Better not forget my thread. Ask your direct reports to name the purpose of their, their department. Not their purpose, but the purpose of their function, their area of responsibility. We're on a plant manager level. Let's just talk about that. So you'll have quality You'll have um, process engineering maybe as a separate uh, department. You'll have, or a separate function. You'll have materials. You'll have HR. You'll have probably CI or OPEX office. Name me what your purpose is. Man, if you do that, you are already moving towards gold. This is so infrequently done, but it's done the same way. What do, what are you really about? Don't give me somebody's purpose. Give me your purpose as you see it. Fashion it. I want to hear your voice, and I want you to own it. It's not going to be a casual thing because we're going to then step down to the next level, which is... You know what my values and beliefs are. What are yours? What are the principles that are going to be guiding you? That's a, another category. What is your conceptualization of the value-add, non-value-add strategy? What does that mean in quality? How does that impact you in quality? So I want to have your step down. I want you to do this OSIT, not for me. We've already gone through that, and I got the benefit of your thoughts. Now I want you to turn around and do it for yourself. Now you understand how it works. Now you've seen my OSIT. Now do it for your department. And you just have to take it that far. 
You don't have to go much further. You really don't. What is your strength in terms of tactical systems? Do you have an understanding of systems? Mm. It is not about just inputs and outputs. It's really about that feedback loop. How does a system talk to itself? Okay. So this is the OSIT. I haven't given you the piece-by-piece, level-by-level, but I hope I've given you enough for you to be interested, only because, honestly, if I do this as a radio show, it will just wear you out, and it will be frustrating for me to go through a detailed tutorial. Not that you don't deserve it. I just don't see a way to work it on the radio. I am not shy to share all that I've learned over these Many, many years. Why would I be? They've, these things that I've learned have been a gift to me. And you know, the gift becomes sweeter and greater as you give it again. So I'm happy to share that with you. You can always reach me at radio at visualworkplace.com, of course. But I have to think about what is the level of conversation that will keep you threaded into, for example, getting us to the X type. Yes, there will be a sense of uh, incompleteness because I haven't trained you. I've given you the impact of and the importance of, for example, this OSIT Operation Systems Improvement Template. You have to know it. And then you're going to, through the X-Type, order it and say, We're going to work on this, and I know why. This is not a project. This is an extension of the template template that is my governance. It's called my OSIT. This is my governance. This is my profile. This is who we are right now, and this is who we're going to be. Let us work together on it. It's somewhat This is somewhat discussed in my book, Visual Workplace, Visual Thinking. I think it's Chapter 5 that I do, Doorway 4. Oh, my God, I can't believe I actually put that in a sentence. I think it's Chapter 5 when I focus on Doorway (laughs) 4. I'm sorry. It's a complex field that is simple door by door. But when you look at it, you're looking at the, the... the array of language in your organization, embedded language, visual language. So, I hope this has been helpful to you. I uh, will move on to the X-type matrix the next time. I want to just, in the couple of minutes I have left, remind you about what is the job of the executive leader, and it is to decide and drive. But another aspect of that, or another way of saying that is, the name of the dilemma is, how do I say yes to the few, those things I want to drive, and wait to the many, those things that I don't have the resources to drive, or that are not focused directly upon the goals and outcomes that we need for this particular, let's say, year for this stage in our development. Maybe your developmental stage is not about growth. Maybe it's about stabilizing, stability. Better notice that, because if you need to be stable, you better get stable, because you won't be able to grow if you're not. Yeah? (sighs) So I think we hit most of the points that I wanted to talk about Naming the horizon, not copying someone else's house. These are not cookie-cutter houses because cookie-cutter houses lead to cookie-cutter understanding and deployment without distinction. That means with very little results, systematic results, results you can build on. Napoleon.
He was once asked, Napoleon, what's the secret of your success? How come you've won all these campaigns? And Napoleon responded, Medals are my secret. Medals, M-E-D-A-L-S. Give me enough medals and I can win any battle. This is a crass comment, but one that revealed, in my view, the considerable strengths that he brought to his time and his goals. And first amongst them was an unwavering sense of direction. It was not always the right direction in terms of moral imperatives or strategically correct. He made a lot of huge mistakes. He was not always correct, but he was always unwavering. He firmly believed he was unstoppable. He and Alexander the Great. <laughs> even when he, even when he was stopped, he saw it as a, a pause. And this is a mark of a different kind of leader, one that I call a charismatic leader. The aura of unstoppability, unassailable confidence. Churchill was much the same way. A leader who found his stride very late in life and kept it through some of the most harrowing annals of modern history. It's called World War II. A man who faced the failure of his own decisions 30 years earlier in the Dardanelles, 30 years before his great call, and that confused him when he so-called made fatal decisions related to the Dardanelles. My own belief is that he got there was bad uh, communication, bad directives coming from Whitehall. But it confused him. His failure so early in his career confused him because he felt he was made for great things. If you want to get inside the mind and the heart of Churchill, um, whom I consider to be one of the great statesmen and strategists and warriors of the last century, read his memoirs of the Second World War. It's about 750 pages in its abridged edition, and I'm well into my second reading of it. It's incredible. I mean, one of these times I'll plow through the six volumes of the unabridged work, but even in its abbreviated form, this book is better than any sitcom documentary that I've ever encountered because the sacrifice of the English people was real. It was incalculable, staggering. At one point, Britain was alone in its defense against Hitler, utterly alone. I've spoken to you about this before because I find it so compelling. And England was ready to fall into the hands of the Nazis. All of the other allies were already fallen. The slightest waver of Churchill's intent would mean the end. There was terror waiting every dawn and every dusk. The blitzkrieg, the, the, the planes in the middle of the night bombing London. Churchill was the steward of the knowledge, and he kept telling them what was at stake and what they needed to do and reminding them a hundred times, a hundred times in a hundred ways. Every day, every day, he asked for specific behaviors of the English people as they defended their small island. He structured their commitment. He gave them a way to serve, and he gave them a way to be a part of the great march, the march to the horizon that was called winning. And they never gave up because they always had a way to demonstrate their commitment to add value it was not up to the individual. The individual depended on the leader, in this case Churchill, to provide the structure, the infrastructure, to, for that individual to make the contribution, to raise to the highest in this terrible time of war. It was war. And that's what I'm talking about for you. I'm talking about raising the game, 
through your own knowledge of your own company and how you articulate it through the OSIT. This will take linearly 30 hours probably, but you can spread it across three weeks, but it does take quiet time and thinking time. And you know, the, the great institutions of our time, Toyota standing foremost among them, teach us through structure. They teach us by putting their thinking, their genius into form. Put your genius into form. This form is visuality that is hidden in plain sight. Everything in Toyota is moving towards a visual expression using this structure. Horizon, valence, drive, pacing, focus, these are the elements. Create the structure to hold them. Leaders set the direction, assigned resources, hold steady to the course, and go first. This is wonderful work. Be a plant manager, but be a plant manager who leads. Leader of improvement on the executive level. You're an executive. Sometimes it feels like grunt work, but it often felt that way to Churchill as well. I can just imagine walking up the rubble of London, for heaven's sake, smoldering with body parts sticking out. Come on. He had a great heart and a vision to go with it. So do you. So, this is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I had a really great time today. I hope today has been useful to you. I might include a discussion of still points and morphogenic fields um, after the X-type matrix uh, for you to see the weight with which I consider your job. It's of such great importance. I wish you a splendid journey wherever you're going. And I hope the visual workplace is part of that. I hope that you become interested in becoming a vision and let the workplace speak. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. Talk to you the next time. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.